Kia ora and welcome to Oho Ake Books. My name is Farreus. Iho Grace, my poetic heart. Wow, we have had some journey together, Iho and I. And I did not know who this being was, who this part of my consciousness was, and where it had come from. Didn't really understand it. It was always been with me. And my healing journey with Iho and my fun and playfulness with Iho has been a massive part of my life. Really has been. I've always been drawn to write poetry. I've loved poetry since I was a young man, and I've been drawn to it for a very long time. It has helped me to heal in a cathartic way, to express myself about how I felt about who I was before I began to change my identity. It's allowed me to write beautiful poetry for beautiful women who have become my lovers because I didn't have the confidence to talk to them. And it allowed me to open up a door of connection with these beautiful women that became lovers in my life. It's allowed me to heal in the most important relationship I've ever had in my life and allowed me to understand that process of what I went through in that relationship and also to come out the other side of it and to know that I had healed from the biggest, deepest and most profound wounds in my life and those wounds no longer had meaning over my life due to the expression that I was able to create for that book of poetry, which I'll talk about in this podcast. And then eventually Iho, who was with me basically for most of 2020 really, I had the, the, the cementing deeply embodying experience of truly understanding through empirical experience, which I've had most most of my life, a lot of my life I've had this experience but never really had the cementing, full, embracing, understanding, assimilation of multidimensionality until last year, of course, almost two years ago, but last year, I'm doing this podcast in December 2021, but in February, March last year, I had an experience, which I'll talk about in this podcast too, that allowed me to write a book of poetry with Ehor Grace, but also allowed me to see my own consciousness experiencing itself in another body, in the eternal now, in a time of legend, from the Vedic texts. So let me start at the beginning. Ehor Grace. You know, I never really learned how to express myself and my emotions. I never learned how to... I was never taught or never experienced the ability to express myself in my regards to how I was feeling. I never knew that. I never know how to feel safe enough to be able to express myself in a way that I was able to convey to my people that are around me until in my life how I was feeling and what was going through my mind and through my heart and through my being until very late in my adolescence. In fact, until really, realistically, the beginnings of the tools I needed to express myself came with my ability to write poetry in 1994. Now, before this experience in 1994, I began to truly embrace the poetic verse and rhyme. I was living in Dunedin, I went to university in Dunedin, and, which is the largest city in the lower South Island of, of New Zealand, Aotearoa. I went to university there and got a double major in anthropology and classical studies. And while I was down there, I didn't really know who I was. I was I had gone down there completely fresh, and it was the most probably the most bravest thing I had, could have done in my, in my life at that time, leaving all my friends and family and everyone that I knew in Auckland to move to a place that I had this draw just to go there. I had to go there. For some reason, I was just drawn down there to Dunedin. 
there were, there were many layers to that to that notion of going down there because I wanted to make it to the New Zealand cricket team. I was playing cricket in Auckland for age grades and playing in Colts, which under twenty ones. I was playing in Auckland front on Auckland club side, and uh, I, I really wanted to make it into the into the Otago cricket team, and then therefore into the into the New Zealand cricket team. And my my idea was to go to Dunedin, to go to university down there, and to make the Otago cricket team, and then to get into the New Zealand team and become a full time professional cricket player. I got down to Dunedin, went to university for three years, made a complete mess of my cricket career, bowed out unceremoniously, bowed out of my cricket career gave that a miss and became a full-blown alcoholic for about a year, little over a year. And at the end of that situation, I found myself getting sober, learning how to meditate, and started my healing process and understanding my own woundings. Ehor, at the time, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know this part of myself. I had no real ability to recognize or have a recognition to understand this was a part of myself came through me. And I really was drawn to writing poetry and verse with art and combining the two together. Now, I was influenced by a poem that I saw written by William Blake, the artist, the poet, the, the genius, the expressive genius of this man, of the soul incarnate. And I was drawn to this idea of creating art that collaged and montaged with the poem to create a full-spectrum experience of having art and verse when words come together in a way that brought out the true extent of how I felt at the time. Now, I was in my early 20s, and I was full of self-loathing at the time I was writing these poems and creating this art together. So often I would draw on the the poems. I would use a typewriter, type out the poem, reel it out, paste it onto a piece of cardboard, and then I would decorate the cardboard with art or with montages, cut out pieces from magazines and from, and from books, Put the pictures on the on the around the palm to signify the emotions that were being conveyed in that in that medium. So for me, at the time I was doing this, I was truly in a place where I was changing my identity because the people that I'd hung out with at university for almost three years, we had a parting of ways, and then after we had a parting of ways, I met some new people on the Dunedin, and I also had a falling out with these people too. So I was basically living my life all over again, in about a year and a half, two years, I had to reinvent myself twice. And not only but the idea of reinventing myself should be kind of, kind of wore thin because I'd done that for most of my life. I really wanted to know, honestly and deeply wanted to know, who I really was. So I stopped that suppression of my, my traumas and my woundings that had taken place in my life and no longer looked to avoid them. And I, at the time, and I looked for a way to be able to delve deeper. And that meditation process that I learned how to do instead of going to going to rehab, I stopped drinking in 1993, early 94. I stopped drinking and began to meditate. That was my key to turning inward. And that inward journey brought out my creativity. And ego came into my, at the time, this energy came into my body. I was able to express myself in a way that was that allowed me to have that cathartic release of the person that I had been up until that moment of my life. And I let go of the person that I, I was. And I began to rebuild myself and began to rebuild my identity around someone who I wanted to be, who I wanted to be, not, not, not from other people. Because for many, part, many years of my life, I'd been a chameleon. I'd walked into situations, met people, took the best attributes of other people, and incorporated those partners' attributes into my own personality and created an identity based upon the best parts of other people, never really knowing who I was. 
But now I was in this place where I was in a, a period of self-discovery. And to get to get to that place of self-discovery, I had to release. I had to let go. I had to express all of this anger, this frustration, this self-loathing, this embodiment of fear and control that was in my life that was stopping me from being who I truly was. And this was Ehol's gift to me to write all that energy and that trauma out of my being and express it in a way that I could no longer I no longer had to had to carry it around with me anymore. It was it was no longer part of my life. But my woundings were so deep, so deep and so entrenched that it took me many, 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 many years more. And I'm still going through the process of healing. This it continues on for me. But I had an enormous cathartic release in that moment. I felt freer than I had ever had been up until that point in my life after writing these poems. It was a beautiful expression of my own personal shadow, my woundings. And I letting that go and this new beginning that I began to create for myself, it allowed me to express myself to a woman because I never really had the confidence. I was definitely attracted to a woman. I was, that's what I had many experiences at university where I was drunk and, and had sex with women, but I'd never really learned how to communicate with them in a way that was open, honest, and real and authentic. And Ehol came into my being and began to embody you know, I wanted to embody his confidence. I had this feeling like this being that was in me had this playfulness. He had this assertiveness. He had this assuredness. He had this fun aspect in him. And I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel the embodiment of his being. And I did for a while. I really embodied that playfulness, that humor, that confidence, that cockiness, that assertiveness, but not in a nasty way, but in a playful way that was also full of gratitude and, and also attentiveness and kindness. And I really felt for many years after I moved on from that particular moment, I had written this dark, dark poetry back in the mid-90s, or early 90s, I was saying, only on four, on five. I moved on from there. I began to imbue this playfulness. And this, this playfulness in my poems that I write for Beautiful Woman really came out in a strong way when I was working in bars now, I stopped drinking in 1993, and I started to work in bars and manage bars and also be a head barman in a few bars around New Zealand and in Australia and then over to North America as well. And when I was working in bars, I had the perfect place to be able to put those the skill set that was moving through me into, into a, a way to communicate with a beautiful woman that I was attracted to them rather than me saying, hey, I think you're beautiful. Can I have your number, please? I would look at this, I would, I would see a beautiful woman walking to the bar or in a bar in general, right, the bar I was working at, and I'd see her, and I'd, the moment I'd see her, these words would begin to manifest and begin to rise in my mind and in my heart. I could see the verses and the, and the rhymes flowing out in front of me almost as I walked towards them. And I'd serve them at the bar, and I'd go to a corner, and everyone, all the staff that I used to work with, would know what, exactly what I was up to, and I'd grab the piece of paper, I'd tore it off, and at a packed bar, they suddenly began to scribble out. They thought, oh, my God, he's writing another poem for another hot girl. <laughs> and that was what I did for many years working in bars. I was just – I didn't have the ability to imbue all those attributes that I knew that this being had – was wanting to anchor into me. And when I finally got to a place where I could actually have that confidence and that coyness and that playfulness – and that fun, that fun, humorous aspect of who I wanted to be truly in my life, and I finally got to that place where I could do this, I no longer needed to write poetry because I was living it. You know, I was living Ehor. 
Ehol's energy. It was imbued in me. It was embodied in me, and I could feel it. I, I knew it. I could play this play this out without having to ever recite a verse. And for a while there, I didn't write anything. I really didn't write anything at all. In regards to poetry, that is, of course. I didn't really need to go there because I was living this life. I was living it. In the end of 2018, I had been dating this girl, Inga, for this, um, this Dutch girl called Inga. I started dating her in 2018. This is many, many years after I had stopped writing poetry for Peter Foreman and Bass. <laughs> many years. Inga and I were together for almost a year, and then our relationship we turned sour, and then by the end of the year, 2018, we broke up, and I was just devastated at the time. I was truly devastated. Uh, and In a way that, looking back at it now, I could see that what happened to me, what I experienced, was, I don't want to go into it too much, but it was an experience that was very, for me, very formative and, and allowed me to find help that I needed to get to be able to have a mirror reflecting back at me that which I had already known all along in our relationship with that, that, for that year. And to understand that, yes, I had work to do in regards to my own connections with people, but there was definitely an incompatibility between myself and my ex-partner, Inga. And she was right. when she we got back, we, I saw her again in 2019, and she told me, we're not compatible, but there is a chance for us if we work, work it out, which was totally true. And we worked on it for 2019, but it didn't work out. And that's okay. We, we, we got to a place where we had deep healing in 2019 together, and we both moved forward into a very powerful place. But at the end of 2018, I was devastated by that relationship breaking up. I felt that rumbling. I felt that that soft, effervescent voice. I could hear it, feel it in my being. I began to realize that this was the same force that had healed me many, many, many decades ago. Not that old, but a long time ago, back in Dunedin. And I, I thought I knew right away what I had to do. So I sat in front of my computer here in my home and I began to write again. I began to write the second part of a three-part book, of which I finished at the end of 2019, 2020. And this is the second part. This is, and the book is in three parts. It's a set of, it's a basically a collection of my experiences and my relationship with my ex-girlfriend Inga, and what I, what Iho and I did together. We wrote the first part, which is our connection initially starting off, and then moving into this place of unrest and incompatibility, and and. Uh, tension and separation eventually and how I felt during my separation which is the second part and how I felt about my own personal being in the second part and what I had experienced and where I had where I was in my life and this deep cathartic feeling of like I have this healing work to do I have much more work to do and coming to that, coming to that realization and the third part was my whole of 2019 and I condensed that into uh, a few poems and that's the end of the book now, the book is called A Flickering Light Called Fate. And that is basically, for me, it was a gift to myself. A gift to myself to recognize this was the most formative and deeply consummate experience that took me into the greatest healing phase in my life in regards to understanding some of the deepest core wounds that I had never really understood before as Inga and I went through couples counseling for about five and a half months. And what was brought out for me was this incredible realization that set me free. It set me free in a way that I've never been set free before in regards to moving forward in my life and feeling safe in relationships. Incredible experience and a really powerful one at that. And for me to write that book, A Flickering Light Called Fate, was the most wonderful experience to be to have Eho with me. And it would be in early 2020 
I finished that book and the first draft of A Flickering Light Called Fate, sort of January, February 2020, and Eho was with me still. Now, normally for me when I write, when I'm writing a book, a novel, a short story, collection, and even a book of poetry, the part of my consciousness will overlay with my being for the time I'm writing the book, and then that, that, that uh, level of consciousness, the overlay, will move off my energetic field and will move away from me, and I'll be back to how I was before the experience. But in this experience, in 2020, Eho stayed with me. I didn't know why at the time. Now, there's a girl that used to work at a bar called, well, works at a bar. She's still working there. At a bar here in Wellington called the Laundry Bar. And uh, she'd been working there for about a year and a half, almost two years, when I actually met her for the first time and talked to her in 2020. Now, one day I was sitting in the bar talking to a friend of mine, and she walked past, and I just had this moment where I just saw her in a very different light to the being that she was in the bar. Now, she's Scottish Chinese, and which is beautiful, incredibly stunning, like one of the most unique and beautiful women I've ever met in my life and had the pleasure of knowing. But when she walked past me, I had this incredible sensation of watching, of feeling, and also watching at the same time with my eyes, an overlay of another being come over her own physical frame or her holographic physical frame. The movie Blade Runner 2049, where Ryan Gosling's character is in his apartment, and the holographic Siri-like woman that he is in love with in his apartment, when he brings in the sex worker and the sex worker and the holographic, holographic Siri overlay, when the holographic Siri overlays the sex worker, and then he can see this integration of this overlay of this holographic form over the sex worker, and she becomes has a body for a for a time, and then they have a, a, a um, they have a connection, shall we say, an intimate connection. Well, it was something very similar to that for me. I began to see this overlay come over Holly's form. And the overlay over her form was very different, very unique. And the moment I saw it, I knew right away it was, it was an interdimensional being. Now, the overlay was of a woman, like humanoid, humanoid-looking woman with, blue, with dark blue skin and Yellow eyes, no iris, but the white point in the middle of her eye where the iris would be, and it would swirl out and become white, and then back in again, back to the pinprick of white in the middle of the eye. And the whole yellow would be gone, the white swirl, and back to a yellow eye. Long black hair. She's wearing, it looked like a, I wouldn't say a bikini top, but it was more like a, I think when you see belly dancers, you see the garb that dresses over their breasts, very similar to that, and flowing light blue pants over her blue skin, and her skin was dark, dark blue. And I remember looking at Holly going like, what the fuck is going on here? And I didn't know at the moment that I saw this. I told her, I said, I asked her, do you have affiliation with water? And she said, yeah, I swim every day. I was just like, okay, because this, this recognition began to, began to happen for me. And what happened when this, I had this alignment, now that I know what it is, it was me aligning with my multidimensional self and me looking at her and knowing that a part of her own consciousness was incarnate another, another, and another body and another life, another level of existence 
Now, I knew at this time, and I understood at this time, that life is multidimensional, but there's only the eternal present. So we have these legends of yesteryear or past lives, but to me, they're happening all at once. They're not happening in a past tense. They're happening right now on another level of existence. Now, I saw this being, this interdimensional being. I knew right away when I saw it. It was an aquatic being from the Sirius star system, and this being began to have this, as this overlay happened for me in the bar, the laundry, and Holly and I became friends and became quite close friends and spent a lot of time together, I began to get more and more and more downloads, integration, and more understanding of the being that she was and where this being was, had come from, where had come from and where they were when I met them. Now, I remember that Iho was essentially a part of the experience here that allowed me to understand this deeper sense of acknowledgement of this multidimensional self when I began to realize that what I was seeing was a being that was had come through a marketplace in Dwarka, Krishna's Dwarka, in the Vedic text of Mahabharata, that Dwarka. And I was a, a merchant from, from Mauritius. Now, when I say Mauritius and why I say Mauritius, and that why this knowledge came to me, was that I went to my friend Tabash, the Sumerian Tabash who's been dead for many, well, many thousands of years. And when I went and saw him in January of 2020, he asked me a question, have you ever been to Mauritius before? And I said, no, why? Not in this lifetime. He said, well, there's a lot of portal energy there, a lot of energy that's like portal between dimensions and star systems comes through that, that particular area of the Indian Ocean. And once upon a time, Mauritius was part of a continent. I was like, oh, Okay, and here I was in the laundry, seeing this being. I knew right away, not right away, but I knew after the assimilation process began to happen for me for real and deeply that this being had come through the portal of Mauritius into our, onto our planet from Sirius and then had gone to Dwarka. And I was a merchant from Mauritius, this continent where Mauritius used to, well, where Mauritius is now, where this continent used to be. And I had sailed to Dwarka on my ship to sell corals that I had pinched or stolen from, from the ocean around the, the continent to sell at this market. And she had walked past me in the market with a friend who was a human who could translate her speech, what she said, her language, who walked past me, picked up one of the corals and held it in front of my, front of my face and said to me, while shaking it at me in her own tongue, which my, her friend translated to me, this belongs in the ocean. What's it doing here on this table? We shouldn't be here. She put it down and she walked away. The feeling that I had in that bar when I saw her after Ingo and I had broken up and Ehold was still with me was this deep poetic verse of complete awe of how beautiful she was. Like I'd never seen anything in my entire life so beautiful before. It's this beautiful, blue-skinned, enigmatic incredible being that was in this that had walked through that marketplace and here I was in the bar feeling exactly the same way having exactly the same feelings and not even being able to register or gauge where this feeling was coming from I walked past this girl many times before working in that bar at the laundry I'd gone to that, that bar several times a week to my friends owners to support them and support their business so I walked past it many times but never had this feeling before not once and this was Ehol's magic, Ehol Grace's magic, to be able to take me into that place, take me into, the, into that lifetime, 
and then to be able to bring the two together, align them together, so I felt this incredible love and awe and respect for this beautiful woman that was working in this bar. But I didn't want anything from her at all. It was just a, it was just a really deep reverence for her and a sense of awe. And then as I felt that, we became closer and became friends. What unfolded for me in regards to the memory of that lifetime, and this is Ehol too moving again through me, was that King Salva had, was destroying Dwarka. And I remember running through the city, running through the city as buildings were falling all around me and people were being killed by, by soldiers. And I knew that if they found her, they would slaughter her. I had to find her. I remember having this feeling in my mind, I've got to find her, I've got to find her. And I was like, this is really overwhelming for me because I was really obviously embodying this part of my consciousness in this lifetime on Dwarka, racing through the city trying to find her. I'm like, I've got to find her, I've got to find her, I've got to find her. And I found her crouching down by a building with her friend. I remember saying, come with me now. I knew the way through the city really well, so I took her through the city, all these back channels through the city, to the, to the harbour where my boat was tied up. I said, go, 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 and I put her in the water. So I knew that she was amphibious and aquatic and she could live in the, in the ocean. She, she slunk into the ocean and she did look on her face like complete amusement, like, why would you do this for me? Why would you find me and do this for me? Why would you do this? And then she was gone. She swam away. And uh, the last part of this memory for me was me sailing my boat back towards Mauritius and the continent Mauritius were where I was from. And then Earth coming flying out of the water onto the edge of my boat and me running towards her and her just rambling off at me. I didn't understand a word she said to me, but I was just happy to see her. Now, Ehol allowed me to have these memories and book these memories and imbue them into me. And what happened next for me was like he began to recite the most beautiful and profound poetry. And I went, had to sit in front of my computer for hours at a time for many days and I wrote a book I call, a dance called Dwarka, which is my memory of that lifetime and the being that I was and her as well and the whole experience of seeing her and, 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 and falling deeply enamored with her and the level of awe I felt towards her and then eventually setting her free in the ocean and seeing her survive. But then also the memory of me actually having this experience in my lifetime in this life and write about how that felt to me and, and basically was able to express how it felt for me to have this experience and go through it and then understand my multidimensional existence and have that empirical knowledge cemented into my being, my mind, my spirit, and understanding that we are multidimensional beings. And then that was the end of that book and that was the creation of it. I I'm going to publish it at the end of 2022. I put it on hold for a year because I had other, other stuff going on, so I haven't published it. I finished it last this year in the middle of the year. I had it finished. I was going to publish it right away, but I put it on hold because right now I've got too much going on. I can't publish it, but a really fantastic experience, deeply profound and wonderful to have this expressive, powerful, and non-clingy. It's not clingy. It's not the right word, but it's, uh, um, it's, it's, there's no there – desire for me to have an experience other than just to, to create, to create. And Ihor moved through me and enabled me to have that experience of just letting go and just creating for the sake of creating and writing poetry for the sake of, for the sake of writing poetry. Now, as I finished this book, Dwarka, 
I had the name Ehor Grace in my head. That, that was quite clear to me. I knew exactly what Ehor looked like. In the early part of 2020, when, the, when uh, I finished Inga's book and my gift to myself, a, fl- a flickering light called Fate, I began to have the, the understanding and the, the ability to perceive what Ehor looked like. And he to look like to me like a Maori Lord Byron. <laughs> I remember seeing this, this uh, picture of Lord Byron in a turban and, re- and military regalia, looking handsome and stunning and, uh, and like a vagabond rascal pot. And I thought, that's, that's beautiful. And then I saw Iho. <laughs> I saw Iho, this Maori man who's wearing all white, but not regalia. Like, he, looked like, he looked like a Bedouin, but he was a Maori man with a turban on his head, uh, of a scarf kind of like turban on his head, and a long flowing like tunic, is that what you call it, a tunic, and sandals, and I thought, he looks like he, he's a man out of place. I remember seeing him and thinking like, this is the man, this is the guy? He was very handsome. And I said to my friend Stephen Temple, the, the illustrator who's done all my all my author illustrations for Armand Sueno, Pablo Wairua, Lord Buford Somerset, Ehor Grace, and eventually we'll do one for Dick Swab too, which I'll talk about in my next podcast. I said to him, I see this guy sitting in a waka, which is a New Zealand Muri. Muri is the right word. By the way, Muri, M-A-U-R-I, Muri is the real name of the people of this country. Not Maori, which is a Pākehā, a European term for the Maori people, which brings them into contract with the crown, but the Muri people. The Moody is their, is their name for themselves. So this Moody man sitting in a waka, a canoe, paddling it through the multiverse of existence where everything around him was brought into existence through verse and word, through verse and word. And Stephen Templer, being who Stephen Templer is, and his magical, beautiful perceptions of what, of what I give to him in regards to gifts of what I want him to create, I always give him the space to be able to create what he wanted to create. He did this amazing author's image. I love it so much. This kaleidoscopic dreamscape that he's paddling his wa- he's paddling a waka through. It's beautiful. And that really is the embodiment of Ihor Grace to me. He is my poetic heart. He has helped me heal in my life through much of my darkest, darkest moments. He has brought this cathartic, powerful ability to create and let go of that which has burdened me and which has either given meaning in my life and also has enabled, enabled me to be able to express myself in a loving and beautiful and an awesome, awestruck way to beautiful women in my life. I could not communicate with them and tell them how wonderful they are, what kind of music they brought to my life, how my heart overflowed with joy to see them and how grateful I am at those women that, that I reached out to in those years of me doing this majority of them became lovers in my life and became a huge part of my life because of my uh, connection with Ihor. And then finally with Ihor coming into my life one more time and then truly ascending into my into my world and my embodying in my being, allowing me to have this, this cathartic and powerful revelations around my own personal healing processes in regards to relationships and understanding my deepest core wounds and healing those. And then finally, in 2020, whew, allowing me to come into a place where I was able to have this multidimensional existence experience, a priori, that's the right, way, right word, I think, empirical, empirical, not a priori, an empirical experience of having this knowledge 
and then going into this fantastic experience of seeing my consciousness embodied in another body and, and, and embodying that body and my own at the same time and having these feelings come up towards this beautiful woman that was in my life at the time. What a gift. What a gift. Truly incredible. Now, before I leave this podcast, and thank you for listening to this podcast, by the way, I truly appreciate it. At the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I wrote a book of poetry, which I gave the working title, A Genesis of Mine, A Poetic Start to a Decade. And I wrote it with Ehor. Uh, I definitely channeled Ehor into my being. And I wrote a book of poems. I wrote 12 poems for 12 months. I basically went through how I felt every month and my emotive state in every month, what was going, I was going through, what I experienced, what I began to perceive in reality, what I began to perceive in society, what my personal experience and my journey of, my, of the year was like. And I, I wrote this book with the intention of utilizing it as a medium that I wanted to get into for a long time, which was cinematic, cinematic soundtracks with uh, sound effects, to com- convey the emotion, to convey the feeling, to convey the verse and the rhyme in a way that I've never done before. I wanted to do this for so many years. So at the moment, I'm in a process of getting this audio book, this creative production. I try to get it finished in the middle of the year, but the people I was working with are too slow on this project, and I wanted to get it finished before Christmas. But it's not going to happen now, so I'm going to probably create it and then publish it, I would say, Early 2022, the first quarter of 2022, I'm going to do a book again for 2021. I love the experience so much. Um, I'm going to work with probably with somebody else in this experience and making doing another, another. I might do this every year with a different composer, a different musician, a different creative. But in 2022, I'm going to do 2021. And these books slash creative projects, not many books, they're more creative projects, I guess, soundtracks, albums. <laughs> Working with Ehor has been also tremendous because this has been a dream of mine for almost 30 years to, to create poetry, my first other writing poetry, poetry and music and sound effects to convey emotion and feeling so much as it was. This, this is an art, a form of art that I truly adore and have loved for such a long time. And this is a whole new experience for me. And I'm really looking forward to it moving into this more and more in my life because it really excites me. But hey, it will be out at some point in 2022, and I look forward to releasing that. Once again, thanks for listening. I truly appreciate it. Mateo Wa. I'll see you again soon.